Oh God, we pray now that with your Spirit's help, looking at your word, you would show us who this child is. That we would see Christ in all of his blessings to your people because of promises that you've made. Help us see. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's Christmas morning, so it's hard not to think about presents. It's hard not to talk about them. We've all been going crazy up to this point with preparation. The planning, the shopping, the wrapping. All for this wonderful day of gift giving and receiving. But why the obsession? Is it because of the reason for the season? Or is it because of all the Christmas things? I know how we know how to answer that question rightly. But honestly, why do you love Christmas? Gifts, good food, time with family. Aren't those the things that really make this day, this season special? Special enough for people who say, keep Christ in Christmas, to cancel church. And to some degree, I understand. I love this day and all of the traditions that come with it. But as fun as opening each present is, let's be honest. As soon as it's opened... It's on to the next one. Until the last one. And that small letdown that comes with it. And that's both true for the receivers and the givers. Nobody wants it to end. But it's just one day. And even the gifts that keep on giving eventually get old and they can't give forever. Now, I don't mean to be some sort of Scrooge. Again, I love Christmas. But there are aspects of the way that we treat this day that are really just a microcosm of our experience in the world. We can live this life as one great obsession with toys and experiences. Treating this life as if it's just one long Christmas day. That's about all the gifts and the things that make it great. Then then it is about what it's really about. And then it ends. This world isn't worth the obsession. But Jesus is. And God has given him as a gift to all who believe. And so my hope and prayer this morning is that our Christmas will be all the more enjoyable as we remind ourselves to seek our joy in him, as we reflect on the reason that Christmas is so great. So if you have your your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 67. You can find that on page 908, I think. 908, it is great, wonderful. And this morning we're looking at verses 67 through 79. 
Now, for context, as you're turning there, the author, Luke, is a Gentile, meaning he's not a Jew. And he believes that if Christianity is true, then it must be rooted in real historical events that are real acts of God. And here in chapter 1, Luke shows us that the birth of Jesus and the birth of John the Baptist were in fact fulfilling promises that God made a long time ago in the Old Testament. That's why Luke begins telling us about what happened in this man Zechariah's life. Zechariah is a faithful priest. He knows the Bible well, and he's godly. But Zechariah and his wife are childless, and they're very old. And then one day in the temple, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and he tells him that his prayers have been answered. He and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a child and they're to name him John. And this child will prepare the way for the Messiah. But Zechariah has his doubts. Yes, an angel's talking to him. You'd think that would take care of his doubts. But nonetheless, he can't deny the fact that he and his wife are very, very old. Well beyond the years of being able to have a child. And so the angel says, okay, I'm going to help you believe. And from that day on, Zechariah is mute. Can't speak. And so when he and his wife finally have a child, she names him John. And everybody else is upset because John isn't a family name. And that's when Zechariah writes down on something and says, his name is John. At which point he can speak. And speaking, he bursts out in praise. In verse 67 through 76, after months and months of reflecting on God's promises, being unable to speak, his mouth finally opens and he praises God here, testifying to the way that God is keeping his promises. Which all may sound a little strange at first for a Christian message, because Christmas is about Jesus, not John. But John's preparing the way for the Lord to come. Zechariah's child is the promised forerunner to Christ. And he knows that. So the birth of John has everything to do with God fulfilling his promises in Jesus. And so Zechariah, looking at his son, John, is thinking about Jesus. And that's clear from the text. If you look at verse 76, he he transitions to his son, John. And again and again, as he's looking at his son, praising God, thinking about Jesus, he says, he has, he has, he has, he has. Just over and over again. Talking about the way that God has fulfilled his promises. In Jesus, God has given his people a gift that blesses his people in more ways than we can imagine and in ways that will truly keep on giving forever and ever and ever. It will never end. Zechariah's praise helps us reflect on the gift that God has given in Jesus. So on this Christmas morning and on into eternity, here's what I think Zechariah's praise would have us do. Rejoice. In God's gift to you, in Christ. Rejoice in God's gift to you, in Christ. If you're taking notes, this text is like one big package with six reasons inside it to rejoice in, 
all wrapped in Christ. So we're just going to open up this Christ package and just reflect again and again on all the reasons to rejoice this morning. So, first reason to rejoice in God's gift to you in Christ. He has redeemed us. He has redeemed us. Look at verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Verse 67 prepares us to hear from God. The Holy Spirit draws out what Zechariah already knows from Scripture about God's promises and says, This child, meaning that's John the Baptist, is evidence, sure evidence that God's doing what he said he would always do. And the first thing he tells us that we have in Christ is redemption. Verse 68, he has visited and provided redemption for his people. The promise that God would visit his people is the hope of Christmas. Because whenever God visits his people, it means deliverance. It was a longing of God's people in Egypt when they were enslaved under Pharaoh. It was deliverance from oppression. And so when God visited his people, he came among them. Not only were they freed from slavery, but they were free, but, but Pharaoh and his army were actually destroyed. This is the hope of redemption. It's, it's real freedom. But in order to redeem, there's always a price to be paid. To be redeemed is to be rescued at a cost. And so when God visited his people in Egypt, he passed over them because their doors were covered by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And those who weren't covered by that blood were struck down in Egypt. The firstborn was, anyway. That's how God redeemed his people. It was through the price of bloodshed. Zechariah is looking at John and sees God's promise to redeem, which means God's people need another kind of exodus and another price to be paid. Certainly, Israel's under Roman rule at this time, but the story of God's people in the Bible is that they have a much greater oppressor. They're in bondage to sin, and they live under the reign of death. And later, when Luke writes and acts about Paul's ministry, the redemption with which God visits his people isn't a political liberation, but a salvation that involves the forgiveness of sins. Church, this is the redemption that every person in this world needs. We don't live in a perfect world. And we're not perfect people. We're born slaves of sin. We live in rebellion against a good, perfect, and beautiful God. And because of our rebellion, we not only miss out on the joy of knowing Him, we not only invite the pain and consequences of living in rebellion against Him, but we deserve His judgment. Sin is oppressive. It's a harsh slave master. It lies to us. It leads us to work for ourselves. For the gifts of this world. But not for a love, not for, for a God of love and joy. And so while sin may deceive us with temporary pleasures, 
it becomes clear that its consequences are eternal. But in Jesus, God has redeemed us. His perfect life given up for us is the price that was paid for redemption. God has visited his people in Christ, his only son. And Jesus has poured out his blood on the cross for all who believe. And in doing so, he has freed us from, the sl- from slavery to sin. God has raised him from the dead in order that we walk in the newness of life, enjoying God himself by faith. And even though we still struggle against the power of indwelling sin, we can praise God just like Zechariah for our complete redemption. I mean, just notice that Zechariah is praising God as if he's already done this. He has, he has, he has. The miracle of John the Baptist's birth is evidence of God's promises fulfilled. Redemption is so guaranteed that Zechariah can speak of it as if it's already happened. And that's the kind of rejoicing that we're still called to give God today. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. He has redeemed us. And though we are still in this world of sin, we're guaranteed a life that's completely free from it. Completely free of its power and condemnation. That life has begun in Jesus. Merry Christmas. We're free to live for his glory. He's leading us to a place of life and joy eternal. In Christ, God has come to judge our sin and redeem us from its tyranny and every other form of oppression in this world. And that leads us to the second reason, to rejoice in God's gift to you in Christ. He has rescued us. He has rescued us. Look at verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. It's not just our sin that we need to be redeemed and rescued from. This world is a harsh place to live. It's full of people who are also living in rebellion against God. And so we find ourselves in a world that are, that's full of people who hate one another, who fight with one another. Even though this world wants peace, we all talk about peace, it's elusive. No matter, no matter how many technological advances we make, no matter how much history passes, There are always wars and rumors of wars. And oftentimes, those are in our own home. Because the problem isn't outside of us, it's within us. We're spiritually broken people who create a violent and chaotic world. And so we need God to rescue us. And Zechariah is praising God for this because... God's people long to be rescued. If you just look at his people's history, it's full of conflict. Israel is a small nation that's surrounded by wicked nations. And as long as God's people put their trust in him and obeyed his commands, God fought for them and they prospered in the land. But whenever they turned from God, he gave them over to more powerful enemies as as a form of discipline. So as we come to the end of the Old Testament, it's clear that what Israel needed was a special king. 
A king that would rule over them in such a way that would lead them always to live according to God's ways. The kind of king who would reign victoriously. And that's the king that God promised would descend from David. A king that would sit on the throne over God's people forever. It's an amazing promise for people who were surrounded by enemies. We know that every kingdom falls. Whether it's the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, Roman Empire, the Mongol, the Byzantine. Just go throughout history. This is what happens. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. America included. But God's is forever. Is that good news to you? I mean, really, as I continue living in this world, that's becoming a sweeter and sweeter promise. That God's kingdom is forever. That Jesus reigns right now. And as Zechariah holds this baby in his arms, he's praising God for this mighty, rescuing king of peace. That's the horn of salvation in verse 69. The horn is a symbol of strength, like a, like a horn on animals. And it's this horn of, horn of salvation. It's a descendant of David, destined to rescue God's people from all their enemies. Deliverance from enemies and those who hate us. That's a quotation from the book of Psalms, referring to those surrounding nations who worship false gods. And in Luke's gospel, the enemies are not just surrounding nations, but, but actually people within the nation of Israel, who oppose God by rejecting Jesus. Like we said, people who are at odds with God find themselves at odds with other people, and especially God's people. History, daily news around the world, our own Christian experience testifies to this reality. Our values, that is, God's values, aren't valued by the world. God's good, life-giving ways sound offensive and oppressive to the sinful heart. And so God's people face all kinds of trials and persecutions in this world at the hands of other people. But the world isn't always going to be like that. Zechariah is praising God because he sees the birth of a king that will always reign. And that is good news for everyone who submits to him by faith and lives according to his ways. Jesus is strong and mighty. He's a king that's not only able to bring down the wicked in judgment, but who can save the wicked by defeating their sin. I mean, sin is the enemy that keeps defeating God's people throughout their history. The reason Israel goes down is not because those stronger, those nations around them are stronger. They go down because of their own sin. And Jesus comes in to rescue. He does it through his blood shed on the cross. He takes on death and defeats it. So here's good news we can praise God for this morning. No matter who's the president of the United States, no matter what any opposing superpower may be planning to do or is doing to harm the world, and no matter what sin continues to beat you down every day, God has raised up a horn of salvation. Through Christ, God's putting down the great rebellion that exists, and he will complete it when Christ returns. 
There will be perfect peace and joy for all people. Merry Christmas. No oppressive government, no amount of suffering, no struggle with sin will be victorious over us. We are more, we are more than conquerors in Christ and will be safe in his presence forever just as he promised. Which is the third reason to rejoice. He has kept his promises. Verse 72. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. In the ancient world, whenever two parties were making a covenant with one another, they would create an aisle out of slaughtered animals. And then those two people who were making a covenant with one another would each walk through that that aisle of slaughtered animals saying, basically, if I don't keep my end of this deal, let what happened to these animals happen to me. It was a self-imposed curse. Well, thousands of years before Christ, God did that with Abraham came to Abraham and he said, listen, I promise, here's, here's the deal, I promise to give you land, people, and worldwide blessing through one of your offspring. Abraham believes God and wakes up one night to a vision. And in this vision, he sees the presence of God passing through the animals, not once, but twice. Basically saying... I'm going through this, and I'm going through it again on your behalf, Abraham, so that this promise is entirely dependent on me. I will do it, and if I don't, let what happened to these animals happen to me. Now, it's not surprising that God would remember any of his promises. But what's amazing is how he keeps this one. Not only was Abraham a sinner, but so is the entire world. And the whole world deserves to see God's judgment. We deserve to face the same fate as those animals. But God willingly took the curse upon himself. God came in the person of Jesus, fully God, fully man, and became a curse on the cross as the slaughtered lamb. So that all people who put their faith in him might be blessed by God. The whole world. God keeps his promises to us, not based on what we have done or who we are, but according to who he is and his own mercy. We see that in the promise made to Abraham. And this is why Zechariah is filled with such gratitude. He he begins this prophecy with, blessed is the Lord. Because that's how you begin a song of thanksgiving. He sees God fulfilling that promise to his ancestor, Abraham. I mean, just imagine being in Zechariah's shoes. Right? Unable to speak for months. Months. You, just, you can't utter a word. You're, you're stuck with your own thoughts in your heads. What are you thinking about? What are you meditating on after you've just seen an angel... Make this promise about the forerunner of Christ and you can't, you can't speak. You're thinking about the scriptures. I mean, Zechariah is just, as a godly priest, is just turning the, the Bible over and over and over again in his mind. And now, 
You're holding the forerunner to the Messiah in your arms. I mean, you're seeing the fulfillment of the oldest promise ever made. The one that was uttered in Genesis 3.15 to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Expanded upon to Abraham. The very first promise ever uttered has been kept. And you know that because you're holding him in, in your arms. The evidence that God is saving. Praise the Lord. I mean, doesn't it hurt when people back out of their promise? Doesn't it bring comfort and joy when someone keeps their promise? How much more should we rejoice in God for all the ways that he has been merciful and kind to us? If we're going to celebrate Christmas rightly this morning, then be supremely thankful for Jesus. All of God's promises are yes. We have blessings upon blessings kept in dramatic fashion. Christmas is a time to be reminded of God's faithfulness. He speaks and he makes promises from his heart to spiritual rebels. And he keeps those promises. Isn't the coming of Christ and his death on the cross just such a great encouragement to know and believe God's word? Just reflect on Christmas in this way. Born, that man no more may die. If God kept that promise, even when we were living in constant rebellion against him, then you can trust him to keep his promises when it no longer requires him to give up his son to die, but to come back and reign. Jesus will return. Christmas proclaims to us, living in this world, that Jesus will return. There's no doubt about it. If he gave up his son to keep his promise, he will keep his promise... To send, him, to send him back and reign. That's easy. So the future may look scary. Maybe life right now is filled with problems that make you doubt God's faithfulness or even his goodness to you. But his Christmas gift is one that keeps on giving in this way. We can look to Jesus, his coming and his death, and know that he's a faithful God who can be trusted. His promises never fail. It can be hard to rejoice and give thanks in a world that doesn't reflect the ideals, but you can trust the God of the Bible to be faithful. So I just encourage you, make 2023 a year that you work hard to increase your knowledge of his word. Because the Bible is full of promises. And those promises are meant to give us life and joy in God. Which brings us to the fourth reason to rejoice in this gift. He has given us joyful service. Look at verse 72 again. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. By giving us Jesus, God has given us the privilege of serving him without fear in holiness and righteousness. In other words, through Christ, God's creating a new people that belong to him and live like him forever. 
But why does Zechariah mention being rescued from the hands of our enemies right here? Well, it's because whenever Israel did actually pursue living for God, they were opposed by a rebellious world. And so Zechariah is looking forward to the day when not only will God's people live like him and pursue him, but when they'll do it without any opposition. How does Jesus do that for us? Especially since Jesus himself said that the righteous will suffer. In John 15, 18, he says that if the world hates me, they will certainly hate you. And Christians have always faced opposition in this world. There are many enemies of the cross. And these aren't our only enemies. We still battle indwelling sin. Even when Israel had God's law in their hands, they ended up living like the rebellious nations around them. And that was their downfall. But because Christ came into this world to bear the curse of sin, and because he triumphed over it in his resurrection, his spirit creates new life in God's new people to all who believe. We get new hearts that love him, love his word, and help us to live like him with joy. And Jesus promises that he'll be with us and that we'll live forever. Which is why he says in Luke chapter 12 verse 4, Don't fear those who can kill the body and after that can do nothing more. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. If Jesus weren't on our side, then we'd be right to fear many things, including God. But because God has given us Jesus, we have nothing to fear. Not even our greatest enemies. Sin, Satan, and death. He is with us. He loves us. He cares for us. And Jesus is stronger than Satan, stronger than our sin, stronger than death, stronger than people in this world. And so he's building his church and nothing will prevail against it. Because of Christmas, you don't have to be afraid to live as a Christian. God has come in the person of Jesus, and he has triumphed. He's risen, and he reigns. The final victory is guaranteed. So enjoy serving him without fear. I wonder if you've received this gift, even as a Christian. It's a privilege. And it's a liberating joy. Knowing that we're safe in Christ forever frees us from the, from the fear of living according to what people think of us. Have you received that gift? It frees us from the fear of missing out on life in this world and needing to preserve it at all costs. That's a good gift. It frees us. It gives us the strength and encouragement to live faithfully according to God's word. So take joy in freely living according to who he saved you to be. The gift of salvation isn't just about being safe from God's wrath, but knowing the privilege and joy of serving him. 
So if someone becomes a Christian but doesn't live like that, you know, doesn't serve him with joy, well, that's kind of like getting a toy on Christmas that doesn't come with the batteries. You're missing out on one of the greatest purposes of your salvation. If you're living for him as your greatest, if you're not living for him as your greatest treasure and joy. It's like a dead battery. A faith that doesn't produce service isn't a saving faith. And that's what John's ministry is all about, which brings us to the fifth reason. He has given us knowledge of salvation. Look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah's attention actually turns directly to his son John here. And you, child. That's John that he holds in his hands. John will be a prophet. No small thing. No one's seen or heard a prophet in over 450 years at this point. God's been silent. But he's speaking again through John, who's preparing the way for the Lord. And he prepares the way of the Lord through preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You see, God's people were in a spiritually dark, dark place at this point. They had their traditions, but no heart. They had drifted far from true worship. And so John's ministry was actually filled with warnings. God's judgment is coming. He warned people to flee the coming wrath and to produce fruit in keeping with Repentance. If they don't, they'll be like trees that are cut down and thrown into the fire that never goes out. And so people were baptized. Not that baptism saved them. We know this because when Jesus shows up, John points him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, it's amazing. God the judge comes as God the Savior by becoming a sacrifice for sin. Which is something you don't make up. I mean, if Christmas was just another fairy tale, then it'd be like a lot of other religions and stories. It would be where the hero finds his or her way to God by some secret knowledge or extraordinary skill and teaches others to have that same knowledge and find their own way to heaven by what we know or what we do. But Christmas is God's story. It's history, right? It's real history. Of when God came to rescue us when we were helpless. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And he died under the wrath of God for everyone who puts their faith in him. And turns from their sins. Those people know God's forgiveness. And there's nothing better than you could receive on Christmas than forgiveness from God. Some people never fully know the blessing of forgiveness from other people. Right? painful to live under a grudge but grudges are held it's horrible god has forgiven us in christ that's the good news of christianity there's if there's no christmas day there's no gospel message and if there's no message there's no knowledge of sins no knowledge of sins forgiveness All the other gifts that god has given us in christ that we're reflecting on today aren't experienced without this one 
If we don't know how to respond to God's gift in Christ, we don't receive the gifts he brings. But God has spoken. He has shined a light on all his blessings given to us in Christ. It's the gospel. And we must respond by faith and repentance. This gift that we've been given, church isn't one to be selfish with. It's to be shared. Actually, not shared, but proclaimed. This free gift should be announced and received. Tell people about what God has given the world in Christ. Pass on the blessing of the knowledge of salvation. Make 2023 not only a year where you grow in Bible knowledge, but where you joyfully and fearlessly serve God by telling others about Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here this morning. The fact that you're here on Christmas morning is wonderful. There's no better way to spend Christmas than to hear the gospel and receive all of God's blessings in Christ. Give your life to Jesus. Receive him. Forgiveness with God means peace. And that brings us to the final reason in Zechariah's praise that should help us rejoice. He has given us peace. Verse 78. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Clearly, Jesus is a great gift. And like a a good father giving to his children on Christmas morning, God gives out of the abundance of his heart. He has visited us. Just like God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, in the midst of all the gifts that he has given them to enjoy him, he comes among them, To be enjoyed in the midst of all of it. But have you ever wondered what God's doing there after the fall in Genesis 3? Why why is God coming among them at that point? Why is he even looking for them that morning? Or what day, whenever it happened. Why does he even utter one word to them? He had given them everything. Everything that they could have ever wanted. But like a kid who takes all their gifts on Christmas morning and just throws it back at their parents saying, you guys are holding out on me. I know it. Adam and Eve did the same. They rejected God. They chose to live under their own rule, to have their world on their own terms, and turned away from God. But then God comes among them. And before any judgment falls on them or this world, he makes a promise to bless them. To give them life and a gift and a child. Why does God do that? Well, because of what we read in Zechariah's praise. He's just, that's just who he is. He's a compassionate and gracious God, abounding in mercy and forgiveness. And so after thousands and thousands of years, a messed up history of people rebelling against him in terrible and horrifying ways, God is visiting his people again. Getting ready to walk among them. 
Not in a garden, but in a world that's now under a curse. And he does this as one of us to save us. It's amazing. Kids all over the world were in their beds last night wondering if if Santa would come visit them and give them gifts. But God isn't like Santa who who keeps a list of uh, and checks it twice to make sure those kids are worthy of those gifts if they've been good children. No, he, he knows we're not. And yet he desires to shower us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So he doesn't just drop by in the middle of the night to just drop off a present. He takes up residence with us. He, he moves into our world and lives with us, teaches us, gives us an example to live by. And then he gives up his very life for us so that we can enjoy eternal life with him. He gives us himself. This is the heart of God by which he gives us the gift of his son. It's, it's not out of a sense of obligation like we sometimes feel around Christmas. You know, this, this one day a year where we're going to see that extended family member that otherwise we won't talk to all year long, but because we're going to see them on this day, I, I guess I should get them something. God's under zero obligation. But because of his mercy and compassion, the dawn from on high has come to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. The dawn from on high is a messianic term. It's the light from heaven breaking into a dark world. So you can think about the light that breaks into the darkness when the sun starts to rise in the morning. Zechariah gives us the image of a world living in spiritual darkness taken from Isaiah. Blind to God's beauty and goodness. Just wandering around in the dark, hoping to find joy. Searching for meaning. Longing for peace. And apart from God's grace and the gospel, we'll all die in that dark place as guilty people and suffer under the just penalty of eternal wrath. Life in this world is like living in a luxurious prison cell. No windows of the outside, destined for death row, and tempted to live for those luxurious things in prison. When deep down, you and I know the real life is on the outside. And then suddenly, because of the Christmas event, the world opens up to us, and faith gives us freedom. In Jesus, we find ourselves because we find God. We find purpose for life. We find joy and good gifts outside the prison of our sin. Temptations lose their power. Death loses its sting. In fact, death row is just a shadow. It's the way out. Peace is a significant theme in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus is the way into that life and peace. It's not just about social peace or political peace or personal peace. It's all those things and more. It's the hope of the new creation. Perfect peace like we've never experienced, and we're, but we're going to in every arena of life forever. That's what we've been given in Christ. 
It's in our possession right now, ready to be opened fully when he returns. Church, there's no gift in this world like Jesus. Not one thing or the abundance of many things should overshadow him ever. Because nothing promises peace, comfort, or joy like he does. Nothing should control our affections, our energy, or time like Jesus. Because as we see, in him we have redemption, security, precious promises, the joy of knowing God, and peace. So enjoy all the blessings of this Christmas day, but experience all of them as a reflection of what God has given us in Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray for help to do that today. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your blessings on us, that we would enjoy the rest of this special day. But we pray that in it we would experience Christ. That in everything we would remind, we'd be reminded of his supremacy and the joy of knowing you. So bless us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.